You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. First John chapter 1. Let's stand together as we read uh, the scripture in honor of the reading of God's word. 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, we'll read the first four verses here. Toward the end of the Bible, uh, right just a couple of books before the book of Revelation. 1 John chapter 1, we'll read the first four verses. Let's uh, begin reading in verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon... And our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness. And show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. That ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. We're beginning a series in the book of 1 John this morning. A series that we'll be covering on Sunday mornings for the next however long it takes us to get through the book. Um, It's a short book, so you think it won't take us long, but I have a way of stretching things out. And uh, 1 John is a great book, full of truth, full of basic doctrines, uh, and also... ...pointing out something that I think that we'll, we could use as a church family... And ...that would be a help to us, at not only our church family... ...but also those that are visiting this morning and every Sunday. Something that I think will be a help to us as we go along. First John chapter 1, beginning this, this series today. And I'm thankful, hopefully the Lord, prayerfully the Lord will guide us... ...as we walk through this book. Let's pray. God, I thank you again for your presence here this morning. I thank you for working through the songs and speaking to our hearts, but also that you are being exalted at the same time. We're thankful that you uh, give us music that we can express ourselves with. And I pray that you have been pleased with this first part of the service that's for you. And now, God, we're hoping and praying that you would have free reign in our hearts. And that you could now speak to us. God, we give you permission. We give you the, the absolute um, privilege or help, Lord, uh, the absolute permission, I should say, to give us what we need from your word this morning. We, it's our privilege to come to you. We're asking for your help today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As many of you know, I spent over 18 years working as a music director before I came to Eastside Baptist Church. And uh, Eastside, I've been here for about three weeks now, and uh, my family and I just joined the church last Sunday. We thought that would be a good idea for the pastor and his family to be members of the church in which, of which he pastors. Um, but music holds a special place in my heart. I, I spent 18 plus years working on it. Um, from the time I was little, my family and I would sing together. I, I was involved in music growing up. Um, and it's, there's something about when we sincerely bring a song before God that presents truth. And I think it's scriptural to say this, that God is moved by that. 
And I know it has uh, an effect on us too, um, but I believe that the, the target of our music is God himself. He's the one to whom we are, we are singing. He's the one that we are lifting up. And this isn't my message today, but, but that's why around here we have no atten- intention of adapting our music styles to reflect the trends of our culture. Because our music is supposed to be a reflection of God himself. And, and we're working toward that. We're striving for excellence and, and we're building our, the, our culture here uh, to reflect God in our music. But, but we don't have an intention of changing things just to fit in with what everybody else is doing. Because in my experience, the crowd, the trends of the culture, aren't always right about everything. So to follow that, I think, puts us in a position where we're no longer thinking based on this. We're thinking based on the trends of our culture. And it's for him. Our music is for him. And I know it affects us, but I believe it's a byproduct of music that we're affected and moved because our primary target in church music is always the Lord. And if it's done correctly, the effects on us will be even greater. And so that's a little free music philosophy this morning. I know you didn't pay for that, but it's hard for me not to stop and park on music a little bit every chance I get. Even though that's not my subject, I'd like to use music as an example of the point I'm hoping to make today. See, one thing about music that I love the most, and we just heard a beautiful special, these um, three, and I forgot to mention that Ms. Kath was over at the piano singing as well, uh, providing that third part. That blend was really nice. It was a beautiful blend. It was a beautiful song. One thing about music that I love the most is when families sing together. You ever heard a family get up and sing a song together? There's something about the blend of a family when they get up. If you've been in church any length, then you've experienced this. They get up, they sing together. There's something special about it. The harmony's tight. The cutoffs are together. The dynamics are in sync. The blend is great. And I love to hear families sing And the reason it's so good comes down to the fact that they're family. Meaning, they think alike. They speak alike. They have similar instincts. They pronounce their words the same. Their vowels are formed similarly because, because they've spent their whole life in a house communicating with each other. And they've, whether or not they even realize, they've picked up on how mom and dad say these words and And so the children start to say the words like that and they pronounce things the same. They've got similar voices and similar tones and you don't normally find that with just random strangers on the street. And the reason it sounds so good is because they share similar traits. Family traits. And family traits don't only come through in music. It's also evident in things like the way that a family uh, speaks and this affects the music but just even words that are used. You know, uh, one of the, just this week, one of my daughters said neither. Now, I've always said neither because that's like down home, like real people. But my wife says neither, as if to sound Shakespearean, possibly. <laughs> and one of my daughters this week says, neither do I, you know. And I said, and I said, neither. Like, where did you hear the word neither? And all of my girls were like, neither sounds so much better than neither. (laughs) I said, I say neither. And I was offended. But, you know, they say that word because my wife uses neither. That's how she pronounces. 
and, and they say either as well, not either. So I don't understand that one either. But they pronounce their, not only the words they use, but also the way they pronounce their words. You know, in a, in a family, you start to say words the same way. You know, you pronounce things incorrectly or, or correctly. I've also noticed that in families, one family trait in speaking is volume. You ever been around a family that only has outside voices? <laughs> I have. It's like every conversation is an outside voice. And sometimes you just want to quiet things down. You know, my kids sometimes only have outside voices. I don't know where they learn that from. But not just in speech, but a family shares the trait in the way that they look. Their looks. This could be positive or negative. <laughs> you know, based on the family genes. I have a mini-me in my house. His name is Jason Kyle Jett Jr. And I've had people tell me he looks just like me. And I feel sorry for the kid now that he inherited the genes that his dad has. Whether or not he likes it, he looks like me. You know, you can tell a family by how they look. You know, you've, you've probably seen this before where you see a child and you think, I know who's that, whose child that one is. I know who they belong to. Um, there are other traits like skills. And I had somebody telling me this week, you know, about a family in our church and, and the dad does this for a job and the sons are just right there with them. They've, they've been doing it with them since they were young and uh, they, can, they can carry on those skills because they learn from their dad. I think that's great. Uh, personality types. That's a family trait. Um, you've got some that are optimistic. And I think if you're optimistic, your children will tend to be more optimistic. But if we have some on the other side, and I don't know, you know if you admit to this or not, but some that are more pessimistic. And if you're more pessimistic, then the chances are your children will be more pessimistic. If you have a positive outlook, they'll probably carry that on. But if you have a more negative or maybe even a critical spirit, have you ever noticed that families tend to have similar personalities? They have similar outlooks on life. And if they're happy or they're sad, they, they pick that up at home. Similar habits. I, it's funny, the things that bother me the most about my children are typically the habits that they learn from me. You ever notice that too? That the things that you do that bother you but, and you want to change them and then you find your children doing them and it bothers you even more and then you have to recognize, but wait, it's my fault. They learned it all from me. These are family traits. Traits that families share together because they're family. And I know I don't have to keep making the case. I'm just using that as an example today because it's almost always true that families share similar characteristics. And as we come to John's letter here, the first letter of John uh, the first epistle of John. Now, he also wrote the Gospel of John. But then he writes these three letters here toward the end of the Bible. John's letter is a family letter. Now, that's not to say that John was writing to his blood relatives. He was writing to a different kind of family. He's writing to God's family, those that are believers. And if I could even say this, I believe that the bond in Christ is even stronger than the bond that many natural families have. Now, there's, there's strong bonds in a natural family, but some of you in here don't have many, much family in Sioux Falls, and guess who your family is? They're the people in this room. And many of you, you're, the tightest family that you have are those that with which or whom which uh, you with you share the bond of Christ. 
That bond is stronger than blood because it reaches beyond culture and it reaches beyond race. It reaches beyond your upbringing. It reaches beyond your personality or your worldview. I mean, that bond in Christ is strong. And John wrote this letter as an older man, literally decades after Jesus Christ had come to earth and he had watched Christ uh, for three years and then watched Christ be crucified and then had seen him raised from the dead and then ascend back to heaven. This is decades later now that John is writing this book. And at this point in his life, he's a seasoned saint of God. He's teaching others what he knows about Jesus Christ. And the way that I view it, it's kind of like the wise grandpa. And maybe you remember this as a child and you had a grandpa that just seemed to impart wisdom every time he talked. And he would kind of crawl up in his lap and he would kind of teach you the ways of the world and give you advice and give you uh, just little pointers in life. That's the way that I view John right now because chances are, if history, if history um, is accurate, what, what people write about this letter, John could have written this when he was, I mean, toward the very end of his life, if he lived a long, full life. I mean, he could have been 80, 90 years old. I mean, well up in years. And I look at him like the wise grandpa who's gathered his grandkids around and I think of it this way because he uses a phrase nine times in this book, this little book, five chapters. He uses the phrase little children. So do you think maybe that John even is looking at himself like grandpa? And you see, he's gathering his children around and he's, he wants to teach them some things. And I know he's using the phrase figuratively. He's not writing to his actual children even though he says, my little children once, he's not writing to his own children. He's writing to spiritual children. Those who have been, according to John 3, which he also wrote, born again. His target readership is a child of God. Those who have experienced a second birth in Christ. All believers begin the Christian life as spiritual babies. We all, we all did. And as we maybe grow and we, we earn, learn some experience and we grow in Christ, um, we still have much growth to do, don't we? So even though you may have been saved maybe one year or you've been saved 50 years, really we all have a long way to go. Really we're all God's children if we're believers. This book is to all of us. John's writing this book to each of us. Uh, for a reason. If you're part of God's family, this letter's for you. And so I, I, I thought, okay, that's the target. John's writing a book to family, to God's family, those that have believed in Christ. And by the way, I don't buy into the notion uh, these days that it seems to be popular that we're all God's children. Now, God loves each of us as his children. But according to the Bible... Only those that have placed their trust in Jesus Christ and believed on his salvation, his substitutionary death for them, those are the ones who have been adopted into the family. So if you want to be a part of the family of God, you're not born into it just simply because your parents raised you in church. You are born into it when you place your trust in Jesus Christ. And let me just say that today. You can be part of God's family this morning. He'll adopt you into his family today if you simply believe what he has said in the Bible about your sin, about his death, and about placing trust in it. So I started to read this book and look for themes. And I noticed a few themes as, as I read the book. And one of them is love. 
Now, 1 John 4.16 says that God is love. And we shouldn't be surprised that John uses the word love because John is known as the apostle of love. He's described as the apostle that Jesus loved. And he wrote in John 3, out of Christ's words, but he wrote, for God so loved. So, of course, love is a major theme. Then I noticed as I read through that fellowship is a major theme, and, and it's used in a few places, and we'll discuss that actually this morning um, as we learn that fellowship is vital to the believer. I also noticed that sin, it's mentioned 28 times in this book, and that's an important theme. We can't hear too much warning about sin and its consequences. So I'm thankful we'll, we'll, we'll be covering some things about sin and, and doing right before God. And then the most important theme in the book is centers around a name and, and around a person, and that is Jesus Christ. And the letter begins with the person of Jesus Christ, references him 11 times in the, in the five chapters, and that's really what the whole book is built on because it is through Christ that we become God, part of God's family. But the word that is used the most that stood out to me is the word no. You say, well, I have small children. I use the word no all the time. Well, that's not the no I'm talking about. I'm talking about K-N-O-W. No. That word is used 30 times in this book. And I believe, I take the frequency of that word to mean that John is building a case. He's trying to get us to understand something. He's presenting evidence to God's children so they can be assured of something. Not just so they can know, oh, okay, I, I know what time service begins tonight. No, this is a different kind of no. This is assurance. This is foundational. This is bedrock no. This isn't just, okay, yeah, I think I know. No, this is no. I assuredly know. John wants the family to know that something it's true. And the more you read this book, you realize John is trying to help readers to know what it means to be a member of the family. Here's what it looks like to be a member of the family. Here's, here's the characteristic of a, the family member. So just listen to these verses as I go along, just to give you a glimpse of how he uses the word know over and over. 1 John 2, 3 says, And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. So there's a characteristic of someone who is a family member. 1 John 2, 5. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. So if you keep God's word, in you is the love of God perfected. Hereby know that we are in him. 1 John 2, 29. If you know that he is righteous, you know that every one of you, everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. That's a member of the family. If you do righteousness, you're born of him that is righteous. 1 John 3, 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth is not his brother abideth in death. So how do you know you've passed from death unto life? Well, you love the brethren. There's more family talk. 1 John 3. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given us. How do you know that the Spirit abides in you? Well, because uh, he, if He abides in us, that's how we know the Spirit's in us. That's how we know the Spirit's given to us. 1 John 5, 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. How do you know you love the children? Well, when you lo you'll love God and you'll keep His commandments. And then 1 John 5, 13, maybe the most popular, famous verse about salvation. 
about assurances, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Are you seeing what I'm saying here? John wants us to know something. He wants us to know what it's like to be part of the family. John is saying, here's how you know your family. See, here's, here are the characteristics of God's family members. Members of this family have birthmarks. Here they are. In this family, you can see the resemblance in these ways. So this Sunday morning series in 1 John that we're starting today, and we'll go through on Sunday mornings for a time, we're calling it family traits. Family traits. See, a trait, by definition, is a genetically determined characteristic. A family trait is a genetic likeness that is passed from parents to children. So if you're part of the family, this is what it looks like. If you're part of the family, you'll know by these traits, these family traits. And can I just say it this way this morning, um, folks, is that true believers, true members of the family have family traits. And as we go through 1 John, I, want, I would like for you, I'm just asking you at the beginning of this series to examine yourself based on the traits we see. Let your life be probed and compared to the evidence that John provides. See, some in here are believers, but you're not giving evidence of it in your lives. Some of you are believers, and you say that you're a believer and that you're, you're part of the family, and you know that for sure. But if we were to say, okay, here are the family traits, it'd be hard to find some. There are others in here today who don't bear these family traits, and it's because, just to be, just to be I'm trying to be kind about it, but you're not part of the family. And the reason that you don't have family traits is because you've never been born into this family. And God hasn't adopted you because you've never submitted to his plan to be part of the family. See, you can't have family traits if you wanted to. Unless you're part of the family. See, right now, I would like to ask you to give God permission to examine your life. And see if you have those family traits. And if not, determine either this to seek God's help to display them or become part of the family. And I want to start today by looking at truths from the first four verses. And now I understand I cannot truly touch the magnitude of truth that's found in these first four verses. I would never pretend to be able to stand up here and convey to you what these verses mean in their entirety. I could spend my entire life trying to exhaust some of these truths and really never touch it. It's beyond me to do justice to it. But I, I do want to look at four truths from these first four verses. We'll do the very best we can to serve as a foundation for the rest of the book. And then we'll make some application in our lives. I think it'll be a help to us whether or not... See, God makes up for what we lack. And we have limited understanding. And we have limited knowledge. But God gave us his word to understand it as best as we could. That's what we're going to try to do today. The first thing I want to notice... It actually is down in verse 3. And it's John's purpose for writing. He says in verse 3... The thought flow begins here. That he says... That which we have seen and heard... Declare we unto you. So John, is he gives it very clearly up front. He says, I'm writing these things so I can declare important things to you. That which I've seen, that which I've heard, I'm making a declaration today, a proclamation. And then he lays out some essential doctrines 
without which the, fa- the family faith falls apart. And the first declaration that he makes here this morning is that Jesus Christ is God. The first dec- Now, to our folks, to our men in here, um, I'd love for us to, to give a little feedback when I make a statement like that. You don't have to say amen based on what I say, but if it's true from the Bible and it means something to you, you're welcome to say amen. Jesus Christ is God. Thank you. Whether or not I said it, it's true. The Bible is absolutely clear that we don't serve somebody who is just a great prophet. He wasn't just a great teacher. He's not just some historically important figure. He is God himself. It says that, at the verse, verse 1, that which was from the beginning. So what John is saying is, I've, I'm, these things that I've seen and I've heard, I'm declaring unto you, that which was from the beginning. And he's referring to the person Jesus Christ. Now the word from means separation. So if, if I would say that the organ is away from the piano, there's separation. So when it says that which was from the beginning, it's saying that there's something that was separate from the beginning. In other words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We know that based upon Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Well, what John is declaring is from. It's separate from the beginning, meaning that what I'm declaring to you isn't dependent on creation. It's separate from creation. That which was from the beginning, that which was existed before the beginning... See, Christ's existence isn't connected to the beginning of the world at at creation. He existed before creation. And that makes sense because according to God's word, Christ had a hand in creating. And he had to have already existed if he had a hand in creation. So John calls him, he says, he says, that which is from the beginning. And then he also says at the end of verse 1, the word of life, he calls him. And then in verse 2, he says, for the life was manifested. And then down toward the middle of that verse, it says, and show unto you that eternal life. So John is calling Jesus Christ the word of life. He's saying this eternal life, we're showing this to you. That which was from the beginning, that word of life, that eternal life. John is saying that since Christ existed from before creation, that his life is not temporary. His life is eternal. Jesus Christ has eternal life. Jesus Christ and God exist in eternity. It's outside the realm of time. It's separate from the creation. God and Jesus Christ have always been alive. They'll always be alive. And our small minds can't wrap wrap themselves around it. But what John is saying is that this is the word of life the eternal life, and it's separate from creation. It's not like anything we can imagine or understand. Jesus Christ has existed eternally with God the Father. That's what he's saying. And he is the word of life. He is eternal life. This life that Jesus... So basically what he's saying is since Jesus has always existed, since he has eternal life that's different than our created lives, Jesus Christ is God. He makes very clear the claim today is that Christ is God. He is 100% deity. He is God. Christ has eternally existed with God the Father. And in John 1 it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
So Jesus Christ is God. He's always been God. He's always existed. And a lot of times today, many are trying to explain away the deity of Jesus Christ, but it's a limited human perspective against a book that's never been proven wrong. So let them say that Jesus Christ is not God, but we have a historically proven Bible that has never been proven wrong that says Jesus Christ is God and I can't lay out all the evidence for you today that some skeptic might would need but I can say that we have a much more sure word of prophecy. Let them say Christ is not God. We can believe that he is because the Bible says he is. That which was from the beginning. That which has existed eternally with God the Father. It's my word, if it's my word against God's word I don't stand a chance. So let him say it. I believe this book. And I believe that Jesus Christ is God. And that's the first truth that John gives us in the book of 1 John. And honestly, everything else in 1 John flows from that truth. From that doctrine that Jesus Christ is God. The second truth that I want to declare to you, because John declares it, is that Jesus Christ became man. So truth number one, Jesus Christ has eternal life. He's existed eternally with God since the beginning of eternity. You can't even wrap your mind around it. But Jesus Christ is God. The second truth is that Jesus Christ became a man. Verse one, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life, For the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. See, John declares that Christ, who is God, became a man. And I think of the word incarnation. Incarnation, you know that root word carn, carne, it's flesh, meat. Jesus Christ, his incarnation is a word that we typically think of at Christmas time. Jesus Christ, the incarnation, he came and took upon him the life, the little body of a baby, literal flesh and blood. He came and he was born in that manger and he lived on earth and he had a real body, a physical human body. God the Son stepped into flesh. Can't even wrap my mind around that either. So John makes the case based on his own experience and evidence. And he says, that which was from the beginning which we have heard... You realize, can you imagine what this was like? You realize that John and the other apostles, they literally heard Jesus speak. And we say, okay, that's that's great. No, they heard Jesus Christ. I mean, he literally took upon him a voice box, vocal cords. And he spoke words. And his disciples heard it. John, we know that he was close enough to Jesus to lean on him, do you realize he could have listened to Jesus breathing? And I, I know it may not seem like significant, a significant point to you this morning, but I'm just telling you, to be able to have heard Jesus speak, how amazing would that, would it, would that have been? He said, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard and which we have seen. So he saw his body. Now, we know that he had a body that was of no form or comeliness. It wasn't like Jesus Christ would have been been on the front of a magazine. He was just a person, a man. But to know that that body contained in itself God in his full deity, that would have been an amazing sight. 
He said, which we have heard, which we have seen, which we have looked upon. And that phrase means we didn't just see him once. It wasn't like just a passing glimpse. Now, one time I was in Washington, D.C., and I, I saw the president's car go by. At that point, it would have been George Bush Sr. And I said, I saw the president's motorcade, and I saw his car go by. And everyone's like, okay, that's really neat. Um, because that's not the same as I sat down and for three days I hung out with the president. See, John is not just saying, I just saw Jesus once. John's saying, I spent three and a half years watching his every move. I looked upon him, I observed him, and if you think about this, John, after three and a half years and all that he saw Christ go to go through, he never once wavered on the fact that Jesus Christ is God. No, by the end of it, he was even more convinced because he saw that same body. He didn't just see it once. He saw that body die and get put into a tomb. And then with his own eyes, we'll be talking about it next week, he literally saw that body alive again. And after a few, a month or so, he saw that same body from a hill rise up into heaven, ascend back to the Father. And John was convinced Jesus Christ is God, and he became a man. He said, that which we've seen and heard and looked upon, that which our hands have handled. He didn't just see him from a distance. No, we read in John 12 that the disciple was leaning on Jesus' bosom, on his breast. Meaning there was a closeness there. It's not anything weird. It's not anything strange to think about something like that. That's how close John was with Jesus Christ. The disciple, the apostle whom Jesus loved. Leaning on Christ. He was listening to him breathe. He literally felt the warmth of his body. They were that close. And John is saying, Jesus Christ is God, but he became a man. And I've seen it. I've heard it. I've witnessed it. I've touched him. He says... Jesus Christ became a man. He's the word of life, he calls him. Now, our words are how we express ourselves. God's word, then, is the Bible, how he expresses himself. But the most, the most manifest revelation of God was Jesus Christ. See, if you express yourself through your words, God expressed himself through the word, capital W, which is Jesus Christ. When you looked at Jesus Christ, you were seeing the most, the most uh, express manifestation of God in a body that you could have seen. God expressed himself through the word of life. Jesus Christ is the word of life. That eternal life that God has was, was manifest through his son. For 33 years or so on this earth, God was expressing himself through his son. John 1 says, And the Word became flesh, and the flesh dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And this is important today. This is the most pivotal point. See, if this is true, if Jesus Christ is God, and Jesus Christ became a man, God on earth, God expressing Himself through the Word, if He came to earth as a man, listen, every person in the world must come to a point of decision about this. 
Not just every person in the world. I'm going to make this personal today. Every person in this room must come to a point of decision about what I'm saying today. If Jesus Christ is God and He became a man to this earth, He walked on the earth, then everything He said is true. And you and I have to come to the point where we either submit to this Jewish man from Nazareth or we don't. And that's the challenge of the text today. Because this isn't just something that you just know. That's not the no John's talking about. This is a no that you are absolutely sure you come to the point where you don't just say, yeah, Jesus Christ is God. No, you say, I know that he's God and I know that he became a man. And right now I have a decision to make about it. Because if God became a man, then everything he said is true. And everything in that book is something we must submit to or else we risk missing out on eternity. And today, there are some in here this morning, and you've always believed Jesus Christ is God, and you like Christmas, so you believe Jesus Christ became a man. But the truth is, you've never come to the point, a point of decision, where you either submit to that Jew that lived 2,000 years ago, that Jewish man out of Nazareth that just rose up. Nobody really knew where he came from. Either you submit to it or you don't. And listen, your eternity hinges upon your decision this morning. If you say he's just a man and you know I don't really believe it all, that's fine. But you have to come to terms with whether or not you believe it. And I'm telling you today, Jesus Christ is God. And he became a man. And if you don't submit properly to his teachings, if he really is God, then you will find yourself in a lot of trouble someday. The evidence is clear. It's historically substantiated. And if it's true, then what he says is true. And you have a decision to make. And listen, the most important decision, the most important perspective you can have is on whether or not Jesus Christ came as a man to earth. 1 John chapter 4, you don't have to look. I'm just going to read it. It says, hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Go ahead and turn over there. 1 John 4, verse 2. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. See, I think we gloss over this point sometimes. And we don't realize how important it is for you to admit that Jesus Christ came in the flesh as God. Because the Bible says, if you won't admit that, then you're not of God. If you've never come to the point where you can admit that, then you are not, I'm sorry to say it this way, but you're not part of the family. You have to come to terms with this. It's a point of decision. And I want you to remember it in this sermon today. It's a point of decision. You must make a decision about Christ. He has laid the evidence out there and he's asking you, make the decision. Your eternity may be dependent on how you come to terms with this truth this morning. So the first truth, Jesus Christ is God. The second truth, Jesus Christ, God, became a man. And the third is that Christ's coming made fellowship between God and men possible. Christ's coming made fellowship between God and men possible. Look at verse 3. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. 
1, chapter 1, verse 3. Again, I'll read it. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. I love these verses. So, you know, we've come to the point of decision where you have to decide, do I believe Christ is God? Do I believe that he came as a man? And then the point of decision has been made. And once it's made, then Jesus Christ, his appearance on earth as a man, makes fellowship between you and God possible. This is where the good part comes. See, Christ brought together two entities that were previously at odds. God is a holy God, and He knows no sin. Mankind, of which we all belong, I believe, we're sinners. We're at odds with God. We don't have a relationship with God. But Jesus Christ is both fully God and fully man. And He came to this planet and lived a life without sin and died on the cross. And by dying on the cross, He makes it possible for you as a sinner to have a relationship of fellowship with a holy God in heaven. Amen. The God-man made it possible. This is wonderful. John emphasizes fellowship, which means to have something important in common and to participate in it. See, we'd have nothing in common with God if he had not sent his son. But because he sent Jesus Christ, and because Christ became a man, then we can now have a relationship with God and each other. And this is so wonderful. God has made a way through Christ for us to have that fellowship. But what John emphasizes is that the fellowship is available to everyone. And I want you to hear that this morning. Fellowship is available to everyone. John's letting them know anyone is welcome in this family. And I'm thankful for it. It's not how it works with every family. A lot of families, they say, no, we're, this is our family. You know, we, we, you can't just come and be part of us or jump right in. And they, they kind of, you know, have you at arm's length a little bit. John says that's not how this family works. See, if you want family traits, you just come and be born in the family and you can be part of it. See, John had seen Jesus Christ offer eternal life to the lowest citizens. In that day, he'd offered eternal life to tax collectors, which in that day, they were the lowest of low. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry if you work for the IRS. I'm not trying to offend you this morning. But in Jesus Christ's day, it was far worse than it is today. John had seen Jesus walk around the streets of Israel... And offer eternal life to prostitutes. I'm talking the lowest citizens in that culture. John had seen Jesus Christ say, you can come be part of this family. And John's message is this. No matter your race, no matter your education, no matter your background, no matter how you look, no matter how smart you are, no matter what talents you have or don't have, anyone can know what it's like to have a relationship with God and become part of this amazing family. I'm so thankful for that. Because I could have never done anything to earn my place in this family. And John says, you can have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and the Son. See, our true relationship was with God through Christ. But it is lived out on a daily basis with other believers. See, God's family. God's plan for the fellowship of believers is in a local church. What do they call this? It's called a church family. Have you ever enjoyed that kind of fellowship? You ever been part of, of, of a group of people who all say they're part of God's family? You ever just jumped in and seen what it's like? Because I'm telling you, there's nothing like fellowship with other believers. I mean, when, when our common bond is God through Christ. Can I just tell you this this morning? 
I, I don't even know. I'm still learning. I don't even know who's part of the family and who's not. This church family. I, I haven't looked into your records. I haven't looked into the letters. I mean, I, I'm taking it at face value. If some, I, for some of you, I'm maybe assuming that you're part of the family. Can I just tell you there's nothing like the relationship when a family dwells together in unity and a church family can have a relationship like the likes you've never seen or witnessed before. And it's, it's, it's amazing. When we're all moving the same direction and we have unity together and we're centered around Jesus Christ and he's our unity. Man, this fellowship is not built on shared interests like something as minimal as sports. You know, there's a lot of, you know, fan clubs and there's a lot of, you know, on Facebook they have these different groups and they're, they're you know, they're joined around things like, you know, Uber. If you hate Uber, join my group. Well, that's a strong bond, isn't it? You know, if you like motorcycles, I'm sorry if you like motorcycles, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing to like motorcycles, but if you like motorcycles, come join this group. And that's, a, that's fun. It's not a bond like you find in Christ, though. No, people will say, come, and, and I'd like to do this as a hobby. I like to fly planes, or I like to, you know, drive across the country, or I, you know, whatever it is, whatever group you can think of. They're all great, it's fine, no problem. But that's not what fellowship is. See, fellowship is having something important in common and gathering around that. And this is really important. See, John is saying that the enjoyment of fellowship with others can only take place if they agree on the important doctrines. Like Christ became God. Uh, no, sorry, Christ is God. Christ became man. And Christ's coming makes fellowship possible. See, too often in our culture, what we're talking about is doctrine. And too often in this culture, people say, well, we want to get rid of doctrine so we can have unity. But that's not the way it works. See, the strongest bonds are built on the important doctrines of this book. And we could say, well, we don't need this doctrine that Jesus Christ is God. We don't want to major on that. We don't, we don't need the doctrine that Christ became man. It's not that important. We'll just gather around our favorite music styles. Well, that's fine, but it's not a bond like that you would ever find like you would if you agree on the same doctrines. And that's why at Eastside Baptist Church, there's no intention of ever compromising the things we believe just so we can build a crowd. Because any crowd we build around a lesser bond than, than doctrine will be a crowd that could be dispersed based on anything. There's no strong bond there. And if you go to a church and they say, well, doctrine's less important than unity, then you will never experience a strong bond that you could around the strong doctrines of Christ. That is our strongest bond. And that's why we have no intention of changing those things here. So these are the truths that Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ became a man. And that his coming makes fellowship with God possible. Anybody can be involved. And then finally... Joy is dependent on that fellowship. Your joy is dependent on fellowship. Look at verse 4. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Here's where the family trait comes in. See, once you believe that Christ is God and that he came in the flesh and that fellowship is made possible for anyone because he came and you start to experience that fellowship between God and other people... 
John says, that's when you can experience joy that's full. And in case you're wondering what full means, it means filled. It means abounding. It means complete. So listen, today, here it comes down to this. Your joy in life is dependent on your faith in Christ and your fellowship with God and others. Your joy in life is dependent on your faith in Christ, what you believe, and then your fellowship with God and others. You can search for joy in a thousand things. In your job, you can try to find it. You can try to find it in your bank account. You can try to find it in your retirement account. You can try to find it in a new vacation or in golf or some other hobby or in a new car or in a bigger house. You name it. But you cannot find joy in any of those things. And you say, well, I'm trying to find joy in things that are more important like my family relationships and the closeness of my family and in my children and in giving to charities and even being involved in my local church. That's where I'm trying to find joy. And as good as those things sound, that's not where you find joy either. Those are good things. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying you shouldn't try to have a close relationship with your family. But that's not what the Bible says is your source of true, lasting, full joy. You may catch a glimpse of joy, but those aren't the source of joy. See, what John is saying is that the most joy, the fullness of joy, is found when you believe the right things about Christ and you gather around in fellowship with a bunch of other believers that believe the same thing that you do. That fellowship and that faith will bring you joy this morning. Joy is the result. So what we're talking about It's family traits. Friend, when it comes to God's family, the ones that have their faith and fellowship correct have a certain trait. It's called joy. It starts with faith, it's strengthened through fellowship, and it results in joy. So here's the important question of the day. Based on your level of joy, are you part of the family? Based on how much joy you have on a daily basis, how much joy you have internally, the peace and joy that comes in your life, based on that, are you part of this family? See, if we're looking at two family members and we're trying to see the resemblance, I might would say, oh, they have the same nose. Um, Look at these two over here, the same family. Say, you can tell it in their eyes or you can see it in the color of their hair. You can hear it in the way that they pronounce their words. If, If someone is trying to determine if you belong to God's family, would they say, well, a trait in God's family is joy. And I've observed, been observing your life, and I would have to say that based on the joy I see in your life, you're part of God's family. Or would they say, well, a trait in God's family is joy. And I've, I've been observing your life at work. I've been observing your life at home. I've been observing your life at church. And I would have to say, if I'm looking for a family trait, if I'm looking for a family resemblance, I don't see one. I don't see the joy. There's no fullness of joy there. I can't really tell. Do you have a family trait? Do you have joy? Well, maybe you need fellowship. Maybe the reason you don't have joy is because you're missing out on a church family. It starts with God and the Father, and it is expressed through a church family. So maybe, maybe you need fellowship. 
Maybe you need to figure out what it is again to be connected to God in a relationship and have a daily walk with Him in your Bible, in your prayer, in your communication. Or maybe though it is about your church family. Maybe you don't have one. And maybe it's time because your joy needs to be full because that's a trait. Maybe it's time for you to come join a church family. Eastside Baptist Church, I mean, uh, Eastside Baptist Church would love to have you. There's a few requirements, but I mean, they're, they're Christian requirements, basics. If you don't have a church family and you don't have joy, it could be those two are connected. That's what First John says. Or maybe you're part of the church family, but you've really disconnected yourself. And you'll come on Sunday mornings, but you haven't been on a Wednesday, to a Wednesday night in years. And I'm not trying to call anybody out at Eastside Baptist Church, but listen, true disciples, there shouldn't be a difference in attendance from Sunday morning to Sunday night to Wednesday night. And maybe you don't have the joy that you want because church is Sunday morning only. Maybe you need to increase your dedication to fellowship. And maybe you come, but you lack fellowship with God's people. You're not connected. Throw yourself in. I'm telling you, there's a lot of places to serve. There's a lot of people that would love to be your friend. Just put yourself in it. Come be a part. Get involved. Make it a priority. Maybe you don't have joy because you don't have fellowship. Or maybe you don't have joy because you don't have faith. Meaning you've never come to terms with the truth. Christ is God and he became flesh. And you've never come to terms where you had a point of decision. See, if you believe that he's God and that he came to die on a cross for sinners like you and I and paid the penalty we owed and that there's no other way for your sin to be taken care of except for his finished work on the cross, come be a part of the family. Place your trust in Jesus Christ today. Come be part of it. You don't have joy. You're never going to have joy. You're never going to have that family trait unless you're part of the family. So maybe you're not sure what you need. You just know there's no joy. Well, I don't know what your problem is. I don't know what the issue is. But you can tell if your joy isn't, isn't full, it's time to come get it right. Confess your sin. Jump into fellowship. Confess your sin and, and maybe place your trust in Christ. Because you, you can live your whole life without joy if you want. Or you can come today and find it in faith and fellowship. And I, I'm trying to bring you to a point of decision this morning. Because I happen to believe there's somebody in this room that's never placed their faith in Christ. And if you haven't, today's the day. It's a point of decision. Come humble yourself before him. Your life is miserable. You don't have joy. You don't even know, you know what to do every day when you wake up. You're just kind of going through the motions. There's no joy. There's no peace. I'm telling you, there's nothing like joy in my walk with God and my fellowship with other people. Today's the day. If your faith is lacking or your fellowship is lacking, that's probably why you don't have joy. And if you want joy, come do something about it today. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.